Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. What would happen if thousands of people in your city got together with friends, neighbors, even strangers, on a single day over a meal to discuss the future of your community? That's the question the people at the Chicago Community Trust asked on the occasion of the foundation's 99th anniversary. And the results should serve as inspiration to cities everywhere. Terry Mazzani, president of the Chicago Community Trust, is here today to tell us what happened. Terry, Chicago has had three years of Rahm Emanuel occupying the mayor's office after 20 plus years of a single mayor, Mayor Richard Daley, of course. In a civic sense, how is Chicago adjusting? In many ways, uh, Chicago didn't miss a beat. This was coming out of the Great Recession, but the energy and ethic of giving back has continued under Mayor Emanuel's leadership. So a change in mayors didn't challenge the civic culture in Chicago? No, I, I think that this is a deeply rooted culture where civic leaders uh going way back in time to the Great Fire. Uh, it, it's baked into our DNA in this city that you have to get involved, you have to give back. It's part of the new corporate president manual in town that after you get your feet on the ground, there's a clear expectation that you're going to join boards, get involved in fundraising for civic affairs, and participate actively in civic discourse. That used to be the case, Terry, as you know, in a lot of other cities, and yet a lot of other cities have really lost that, right? So, so you no longer see the business elite uh, investing in civic affairs. I mean, if they have a particular business interest, they'll lobby City Hall, but, it, you know, it's Increasingly, you see the professionals, right, get involved in communities. So the CEO delegates it to his or her professional, the community relations person or the vice president of public affairs. What's the difference in Chicago where that you say it's baked into the DNA? How did that happen? And more importantly, how is that sustained? Chicago is fortunate to be a headquarters city for a number of Fortune 500 organizations. And so we, we have a large number of corporate CEOs, and it's frowned upon to, to delegate this activity to somebody else. There are very important civic boards that are actively attended for that. And like I said, this tradition started with the great Chicago Fire back in 1871, where the city had to pull together to rise from the ashes and rebuild. And the city has enjoyed a series of reinventions from the hog butcher of the world to the uh, merchandising and retail center of the world, the, the rail hub serving our nation, and a manufacturing center and now for information technology and finance. Each step of the way, civic leaders have played an important role in not only attending to the business of commerce, but attending to the vital civic and social elements that make a great city flourish. 
When I had the great pleasure of living in Chicago, many people, Terry, referred to the stability in City Hall as one of the reasons business people were comfortable being involved in civic affairs. They knew who the leader was in City Hall. They didn't worry about getting on the side of a mayor who wouldn't be there in two or three years. Do you think stability in City Hall, uh, not just in Chicago, but in other cities, is encourages civic leadership or can discourage city, civic leadership? We'll leave it all to City Hall. The mayor is going to do it all for us. Yeah. It, it, in our case, continuity and stability has been very important so that there is a direction that's sustainable over many years and have to acknowledge that the challenges cities are facing nowadays require more than one or two or three years to resolve. And so you, you need that sustained focus. Our challenges here, though, and what's different for Mayor Emanuel is the crushing weight of the pension obligations at the state and local level that have limited government's ability to address the social health and educational needs of the community. But in keeping with that ethic of broad-based uh, involvement, uh, Mayor Emanuel has reached out to the private sector for aggressive fundraising to help fill this need. A great example is the Get In Chicago initiative that has raised $50 million to provide innovative approaches to reduce youth violence. I think Mayor Emanuel is, you know, fundraiser extraordinaire in Chicago, as you say, is blessed with so many uh, businesses and, and so much wealth and uh, private wealth that people are generous and they're willing to contribute. And yet, you know, private philanthropy will never be able to fill the gaps of government. And, you know, I'm curious, do you, and, and of course you run, you know, the, the very large, very influential Chicago Community Trust re representing the philanthropy of many uh, individuals and the generosity of many individuals and, and companies. I'm curious, Terry, you know, as you think about philanthropy's role at a moment in time where government is so strapped, how do you play, how do you play the game knowing you can't fill the gaps? The gaps we can't fill are the financial resources. We can provide high leverage dollars for innovation, but where we've seen in recent years our greatest contribution is our convening ability. By virtue of being viewed as a as a neutral convener, a safe harbor for diverse points of view, we more and more get approached by organizations. This past year, a consortium of 10 hospitals and health centers asked the Chicago Community Trust to convene their consortium to be able to respond to an opportunity for federal funding to tap into the power of electronic medical records to do large-scale clinical effectiveness research to accelerate and reduce the cost of clinical trials that will move uh, benefits of improved treatment to patients across the spectrum of diseases and conditions. But it's, it's that type of role that it's harder and harder for government to fill. And with relatively fewer dollars, we can exert 
incredible leverage. When you talk about the convening power of Chicago Community Trust, earlier this year you launched what I think is a fabulous convening. You, you called it on the table. And, and the purpose was to start a conversation citywide about ideas for tackling some of the challenges Chicago faces. And it feels to me like it's very much a continuation and a building on that DNA of Chicago's civic civic commitment that you, that you spoke about earlier. How did On the Table work? This has been one of the most amazing successes that we have had. And it's true to our commitment to community engagement and building an inclusive society. Uh, the idea came about as we were planning for our 99th anniversary, we realized that 100 years ago, there was a small group of people probably meeting in one of Chicago's private clubs, having a conversation looking at this notion that had just hatched in Cleveland called the Cleveland Foundation. And the civic leaders here thought, Chicago should have something like that. Uh, we need to have our own community foundation here. And th the more I think about this, the more incredulous I am that an idea that hadn't even been fully baked for a year was clearly a beta model, a prototype of something. There's no track record that we would look to in this day and age to try to demonstrate a case of support. But based upon that brilliant seed of an idea from Frederick Goff in Cleveland, they they said, we need to do this as well. So our hypothesis was if a small group of people could have such a powerful idea that has endured 99 years, distributed over $2 billion back into the community through its partnership with donors, what would happen if thousands of people would come together on a, for a conversation focused on the future of Chicago? And that's what was the genesis of On the Table. Uh, when we started, we thought it would be a bold and daring goal to have a thousand mealtime conversations on a single day, May 12th, which is our official anniversary date, and you know, maybe get 10,000 people. Uh, turned out that we blew past those goals. We had over 1,100 mealtime conversations on the single day in every one of Chicago's 77 neighborhoods, every county in our region, and even seven countries across the, the world where we have expatriates participating in the conversation. Uh, more than 11,000 people joined in contributed thousands of ideas. We utilized social media to link all of this together. And there we had over 12,000 bits of information coming forward. Uh, and our audacious goal had be, been to become the number one Twitter trend in our region. And we did succeed there. That was a highlight as we were monitoring Twitter trends and watching us move up the ranks until we did make it to the number one conversation going on in our community. 
you know I love this idea. Um, you said its inspiration was the small group of people who founded the Chicago Community Trust, uh, which turned out to be a very powerful idea. Did you did you hear powerful ideas coming out of those conversations? Yeah, we are very pleased with the ideas. And as important was there was a renewal of civic spirit. And it was a concept coined by Daniel Burnham in the 1909 Burnham Plan, where he talked about the spirit of Chicago, that ability of a community to come together and deal with any problem that it sets its mind to resolve. And we saw that there was a great hunger for people to be heard. People wanted to be part of the conversation and part of the solution. When we tabulated all of the results, we, we partnered with the University of Illinois at Chicago's Institute for Policy and Civic Engagement. So they did all of the data collection for this. And of these 12,000 ideas boiled down to about 1,000 that you know, unduplicated, very powerful ideas coming forward that, in summary, the number one topic was education. People get that in today's economy, the world today, that the only way for the American dream of social mobility to happen is through education. And so it's that ladder of opportunity that people commented on. The second and third priorities were a surprise. They, they weren't about issues of safe streets, our affordable housing, our better health care. The number two and three ideas were civic engagement and collaboration. People wanted to work together. They wanted to address the underlying issues of equity and social inclusion. Uh, when polled, 75% who participated said they wanted to work with others to improve their community. And almost 100% fully believe that their influence it will achieve change in their community. And I think that's the spirit of Chicago. That's that sense of community efficacy and resilience that every city needs to have that type of spirit. Terry, you're a former educator, and uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's not surprising that education would turn out to be the number one issue, although I agree with you, the, the surprise of, of uh, number, number two and number three, uh, civic engagement and collaboration is really deeply interesting, but let's go back to education because uh, we're all concerned about it. The question is, what can we do about it? Was there an idea that came out of this concern for education that you think is worth pursuing? There are a number of ideas. And just to kind of add to the story, out of the thousand ideas, we had a, a team of civic leaders and experts review these, boil it down to about 100 finalists. And from there, what we wanted to do was to turn ideas into action. And so we've partnered with some of Chicago's leading design firms, groups like IDEO and Gravity Tank, Doblin, the Greater Good Studio, to link up with these community leaders 
to take their ideas into action. And so it was out of those six ideas that we create in what we call collaboratories, honoring the spirit of grassroots community engagement, where the ideas are coming from, and supercharging them with the tools and skills of a design laboratory to be able to move this forward. And we have the benefit as a foundation to then resource the needs of those groups to get them from a fledgling idea to a full-blown high-impact opportunity for the community. So with education, I think front and center was uh, there was a call to create a parent engagement roadmap. And when we think about this, traditionally parent engagement always welcome in schools, but it's always mediated through the schoolhouse door. And it's a power imbalance between the interests of parents and the institution of the school or the school district. Here is a genuine effort for parents to empower themselves to develop the repository of information and skills and opportunities for parents to be a a true positive force in the education of their children and other neighborhood children for that. So that's, I think, one of the very promising ideas. Uh, Another issue that came up because uh, youth violence is a significant concern in our city. The idea was called, where is your bench? Meaning that safe space, that bench in a community where people can sit down and come together and gather to discuss, get to know each other and build that fabric of safety and support within a community for that. And then we we know that a big part of the solution for helping young people transition to adulthood and to careers or higher education is going to be the frontier of the sustainability and green industry. So there's another project called Gen G, which is the Generation Green Project that will design opportunities to connect youth with the growing fields in the the green or environmental sector for that. And so building intern opportunities, job opportunities, uh, higher education pathways. So those are Uh, just a few. And maybe one more is recognizing that schools cannot alone address all of the challenges facing young people and particularly low-income neighborhoods. And so there is an asset mapping initiative as well to create this digital platform of the community assets and resources. And it's easy access for uh, young people, for Uh, residents of a neighborhood to know where they can obtain the types of supports and resources to enable them to be more successful. Terry, I'm curious in the, you've you've resourced these these ideas with uh, design firms, which makes a lot of sense. Are you also seeing the execution of these ideas, the promoters of these ideas, are they are, are they internally diverse? In other words, did it wind up, you know, there's a CDC or there's a, you know, there's a community development organization or there is a, a nonprofit somewhere who's now 
working on this with the design firm or did did people you know are are they now coming together and collaborating themselves so that you're seeing some business people and you're seeing uh you know some community people and educators and they're all working together i'm curious what the execution looks like one of the most gratifying aspects of on the table has been the fact that it's become self-generating so Many of the conversations were so rich on May 12th that the groups have continued to meet on their own. And then one of them, our African-American Legacy Initiative, which is an identity-based fund, it had hoped to attract 30 people to their mealtime conversation. They had 120 people show up. And I think in a way, predictably, youth violence was the number one issue there. Uh, From that, they are mobilizing around a youth summit uh, in November, which will be focused on uh, voices, not violence is their theme. They've instantly built a much greater pool of participants and engaged community leaders to address this issue. In a way, it's a bottom-up initiative rather than being viewed as a law enforcement solution to the problem of youth violence. I know the local newspapers have paid attention to the results. You've had great coverage. Have politicians taken it seriously? We've been very careful to keep the spirit of grassroots community collaboration in this. And so we have not focused on any sort of intentional connection with the political leaders. We think that as the ideas mature and we understand where political leadership can help to move things to scale or to remove some obstacles for the work, we think that at that point there will be a logic, but we don't want to politicize this and a step. And there's there's a firm conviction that as government's ability to address social problems has diminished, that we do need to look to create vehicles and inspiration for communities themselves to step up, identify the major issues, and develop their own solutions to the problem. So that is the essential core of the logic behind this work. You mentioned it earlier, Terry, Chicago has the legendary Daniel Burnham plan as a touchstone for holding and guiding a community vision, particularly in terms of a physical vision. Chicago school children for years studied the Burnham plan, which again, I think that's wonderfully rare and remarkable. We don't see that kind of thing today. You're talking about a set of ideas that came out of on the table that will be addressed in a in in from the grassroots point of view and that seems enormously valuable on the other hand it doesn't seem quite to add up to a vision is there in a guiding kind of a guiding notion of what chicago will be do you see that what came from on the table is serving as that vision do you think it already exists or do you think there's a gap there that still needs to be filled 
I think that this isn't about a top-down vision. Uh, but w one of the big ideas, one of the six collaboratories, is called Sister Neighborhoods. And this came out uh, repeatedly, about 10 different conversations used exactly the same word. Of, of We have sister city relationships around the globe, but we don't know our neighbors in adjacent communities. So we should have a sister neighborhoods program. And I'm very excited about what will emerge from the design laboratory for how that programming develops. There's a clear appreciation that we have to be guided by a vision of equity and opportunity and diversity and inclusion. And I know that is the guiding vision for the Chicago Community Trust. That is what we heard loudly from the community, that they want to overcome the historical legacy of segregation. And to do that, to create novel ways of having people with diverse backgrounds and experiences come together in a public square and have a sustained dialogue that will lead to deeper understanding and I think new insights into how to tackle urban problems that vex virtually every urban area. And it's something that we have to get right in this century as we look at 70% of the global population living in cities by just the year 2030, 70%, which means that cities have to get it right. Cities have to function for their residents. Terry, if we want to keep up with the progress of the collaboratories and watch, watch that work spin out, what's the best way to do that? We've built a website, it's on the table, 2014.com. Uh, this has the full body of information. We've been very transparent about this and uh, just recently have released the summary report of the first round of on the table uh, mealtime conversations. Uh, for that, that can be downloaded again at www.onthetable2014.com. We will be reporting throughout the rest of this year and into next year, the results of the six collaboratories. And my board was very enthusiastic about the results of this engagement and urged us to continue this. And so we will uh, for our 100th anniversary date on May 12th. I should also add that other cities have picked this up a bit earlier on October 7th. The city of Toronto held their own thousand dinners as they were also seeking the resident points of view for what are the major issues that the city of Toronto should address. Terry, I'd love to see every city do an on-the-table um, event, and uh, I, I'm glad you were first. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Terry. Thanks so much for being our guest on Night Cities. My pleasure. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. Terry Mazzani is president of the Chicago Community Trust. Remember, you have until November 14th to submit your ideas on how to make cities more successful at nightcities.org. Knight Foundation has $5 million to award to winners of the Night Cities Challenge. 
You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag Night Cities and at C. Coletta. Find out first when new conversations are posted by signing up for our newsletter at nightfoundation.org forward slash features forward slash Night Cities. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.